Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the group chat, Radical Equity. I am your host, Vonda Page, and I am here with my friend, partner, and colleague, Alyssa Stamp. And today we are super excited to bring back Daniel Jimenez. Welcome. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. Good How to you see you. We're doing nice good. To you. <laughs> <laughs> so for everyone out there, this is the group chat radical equity and what this conversation is going to be focused on is really talking about things that are happening out in the uh, insurance industry and some other sectors but we're really talking about what types of um, efforts and projects and applications and what kind of things are happening to really drive equity and today specifically we're going to be talking about driving equity in the insurance industry and we're going to talk about insurance in general but before we get into specifically talking about equity what i want to do is just bring it back do a little you know quick refresh intro um i want to make sure first of all that everybody knows living corporate um is a media network specifically dedicated to the amplification of black and brown voices and experiences in the workplace so welcome everyone thanks for joining in and we're going to get it started so Alyssa, welcome hey how you doing tell everybody who you are and um let's just get the chat started thanks fonda i'm Alyssa stamp i'm ceo and co-founder of insure quality and danny or daniel is part of the team and the reason we met he actually talked about on the first show the first one with the four of us on it and jeff couldn't be with us today but the reason we met was because he went out on a sexist rant on LinkedIn. And it was because this rant. <laughs> anti-sexist rant. That's fair. That's fair. Thank you for the correction. He was mad about it. He was mad about the sexism that he was seeing in his immediate world. And clearly I went through something. Um, my story is out there for the world to see. But Danny, I would love for you to talk about why that rant happened and how you see insurance from your vantage point in the insure tech industry. Yeah. So the, so for me, um, you know, like work, work, workplace discrimination is a thing. It's everywhere. doesn't matter where you are, where you're from, where you, where you work at. But for some reason, in my experience, um, insurance is a place where it, it's running a little wild in some parts. Right. So, um, so just to give you a backstory for, you know, how I came involved in a lot of, you know, insurer quality and in diversity inclusion is one, um, my company is the company I work for full time go Giles and, um, consulting is an insurer tech consulting firm where 90% of the leadership are women and which is unheard of in insure tech and, and insurance to begin with. Um, I like to go on this, I like once in a while, I like to go on LinkedIn and find, 
certain talent for certain roles. And um, like we said last time, was it over 60% of the workforce for insurance are women, um, which is good, which is great. Um, but the problem with that is, is that these women, 60% of these women are not in leadership roles. And that was getting really, really upsetting for me. I was going around and trying to pull people who really know what they're doing. These people, like these women I was pulling out of different companies, they are the shit. And it blew my brain apart as why they weren't VPs of this or VPs of that. And they were just still CSRs or they were just other levels that are just like kind of entry level or maybe like one or two levels above that. Um, and it kind of messed me up while they were there for like 15, 20 years. But then good old Skippy down the road who just inherited his, uh, his insurance company from his dad is running shit. And he don't know how to even wipe his ass correctly. So how is he running an entire agency? That's beyond me. But um, I was really upset about the whole thing. And it, it was very overwhelming. So I went on, I decided to go on LinkedIn and I was like, this is some bullshit. Like, why aren't these women, like, why are more women in, 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 in places of leadership? Where for me, it's an everyday thing. Seeing women in leadership, I see the the advantages of it. Um, and it's amazing. So why aren't more insurance companies getting into that? Um, especially, you know, smaller private ones. And then um, another person who um, works for a major carrier who ends up being one of my best friends now, love him to death. He's like, you're amazing. I love you. Everything about you. You need to go talk to Alyssa. And I'm like, okay. Got it. Got it. So what, so the first thing that I want to call out um, is that it sounds like, and you two correct me if I'm mistaken, it sounds like insurance um, from a, the way it's made up in terms of leadership and those ratios, right, of men to women, you know, or non-binary people or whatever, seems like it's no different than any other field in terms of leadership, right? Because if I think about the tech sector, if I think about banking, if I think about oil and gas, or I think about, um, you know, any industry in America that's over 100 years old, or that is a, an outbirth or outgrowth of another industry, it seems like we have that that same that same issue so you know that's the that's the first call out the second thing is i'm thinking is why don't you Alyssa? why don't you take us back and sort of give us you know some foundational you know understanding around insurance you know um sans jargon right but just yes. kind of <laughs> right that that like like you know i'll what, do my what best are we talking about how did that feel kind of you know where did it start you know and kind of like we where did we start it and where are we now and then we could talk about the state of equity in general for it. Yeah, yeah, no, good call out, Vonda. And th Danny, thank you, yeah. So insurance is a centuries old industry and it's definitely had its hand in a lot of things that weren't so great. Like we mentioned last time that insurance had its hand in the slave trade way back in the day. And that's something that if you go to the California state website, they actually found um, insurance documents relating to that. So that's not something that I'm saying off the cuff here. So it, there's a lot to be reckoned with in this industry, but you're right to point out that the leadership typically doesn't really transcend beyond a certain point, just like other industries. I think I mentioned the documentary, This Changes Everything on Netflix last time. It's about the film industry, but there's some really great data in there. And it talks about in any industry, despite the progress that's being made, women typically don't make up more than 12% of leadership positions in just about any industry. Um, and that's true of insurance as well. 
And it's not just women that are struggling here. It's um, black, uh, brown individuals. They're not transcending into leadership. Everybody's kind of stopping at that middle management level. And so the questions that we're asking are why? Because as Danny put it, there are very capable people. And as, as we've talked about in insurance before, there's a, there's a talent shortage. And if we have a talent shortage and very capable individuals, why is this not adding up? Something is missing here. So the conversation we're having every day with each other and with the world is, why aren't you opening your eyes? <laughs> because we're losing people left and right from this industry. The attrition is atrocious and it's been happening pre-pandemic. So pandemic was a, a thing that happened, you know, the great resignation. However, the insurance industry has been facing a talent shortage since pre-2019. And you can, if you Google that, you, you'll, you'll find it very, very quickly. But what we're finding in general is, say, is the same storylines happening over and over and over again. And Danny, I'm gonna be interested in, in your viewpoint, um, having not worked directly in insurance uh, for, for things like that. But I will tell you, so I was a marketing rep for a large portion of my career. And something that happens all the time, and I've talked with marketing reps across the country, is there's this kind of survival guide that we give each other. So as a marketing rep, what that job is, is kind of like a pharmaceutical rep for an insurance carrier. Does that, is that helpful from the jargon standpoint? So my job would have been to rep a specific insurance carrier and go out to an agency office and say, hey, if you are selling a general liability policy, if you're selling a car insurance policy, a home insurance policy, use my company and here's why. Here's what we do. Here's how you can help with the pricing. Here's a coverage that we have that somebody else doesn't. Okay. So as a marketing rep, I had a territory of, you know, 50 to 100 agents at some point. But if I were ever to gain a new agency or give up an agency to a different rep, there was always this conversation that was occurring. And that conversation went something along the lines of, hey, don't go into John's office. Or if you do, don't wear a skirt avoid so-and-so's office or go to Janice if you want to really get some business done because she knows what's going on in the office. And so it became this lay of the land type of conversation that really shouldn't have to exist because what I was finding as I spent more time in my career is carriers and agencies alike know that there are problematic people within their organizations and they choose not to do anything about it because that person brings in a million dollars a year or because they've been there for 20 years and that's just how he is, or that's how she is. And frankly, we shouldn't be at the point now in our industry's history that we're tolerating that sort of behavior. Yeah, I mean, so there was a post and I'm trying to remember, it was a really good post today on LinkedIn. It might've been from Madison Butler and I don't like to misquote people, but, but the person uh, basically you know, said we have to get to a point where, you know, discrimination is not normalized within the workplace, right? Where it's no longer seen as normal, right? And we have <clears throat> these conversations around things being common versus normal, right? And just because something is a common occurrence, like somebody telling you, well, hey, you, you know, Bob is going to be here on Tuesday, so make sure you don't wear a skirt that day and go, like, literally... That was such a common thing, right, that people felt compelled to warn you, other people, this and yep. that. 
And so that kind of behavior got normalized. Mm -hmm. So, right. So, so Daniel, what I'm thinking is like, you know, why aren't more men and more people in general outraged and, 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 and hate tweeting and hate, you know, typing on the internet when they find out about an egregious thing. I was telling uh, um, Angel Henry yesterday, dense in the ceiling, Angel G. Henry yesterday, that, you know, I have this this thing where I want to just, like, like we're doing, but I want to, like, you know, really bring to the forefront, really bring to the conversation, you know, accountability for these companies. But I think accountability has to start on an individual level. So I would like to hear, you know, from your perspective, you know, Danny, like, how how is it that you could feel so like passionate and like damn it the hell with this this is some nonsense I'm gonna do something even if I'm just you know trying to connect with other people who who feel that way how what's that look like that journey and how did you get there because if you think about like okay yeah we're all human beings blah blah we say that all the time right but we do horrible things to each other as human beings and in the workplace we do horrible things horrible things are done so so talk a little bit about it from that perspective right of that mindset that helps you to say, okay, I see some shit that's wrong and I mm-hmm. feel compelled to take action, not just, well, yeah, that's messed up or, or it's not my problem. I think for me, I mean, I can speak for me personally, personally, and yeah. then I think that I'll, and then I'll also kind of be like, kind of maybe like cast a wider net. So for me personally, I had a click moment um, way back in the day. I had a friend who I went to college with who we hung out, you know, we, we did a lot of, you know, we, we did a lot of stupid shit in our, in our early twenties. Um, he passed away. He died. He was one of the victims in the pulse shootings. So that really took me to like the edge. I was working for like, I was working as a, not insurance. I was a luxury visual merchandiser for Burberry. Like I was not at all in the game of what I'm doing now, but it made me want to, that snap made me do some radical change. And then from there, I realized that you could die tomorrow. And this is some bullshit. I don't, and, and you know, like, I, you shouldn't have to, like, I personally took a, a stance and, like, I'm not going to work in toxic work cultures. I'm just not going to do it. And I think the cool thing is that um, generational-wise, I actually had an uh, interview earlier today um, with a person who might be a, B, uh, a BA in my company. And we had a great conversation about how generations are kind of in a different space. Like there's Gen X people like my mom and my dad who they just kind of put up with generational bullshit. And they say, well, that's how you do. That's how it is. This is what it is. But millennials, we had 9-11. We had Columbine. We had, we saw our parents' houses get taken away. We are tired and we're over the bullshit. We're exhausted. We're broke. We're tired. We don't have time for it anymore. So once, yeah. when, and then social media started coming in and people started being like, oh, I have a voice. Oh, they have a voice. I have a voice. And all these people started to feel really empowered. And then we, we all look around each other and we're like, oh, fuck, we all want the same thing. We all want non-toxic working relationships. And the cool thing about, I guess, millennials and Gen Zs is that we are putting, putting ourselves in a position um, work-wise where toxic work relationships are not, they're not going to be held accountable by, you know, you, you vote every day with your pocket, you vote every day with by going into work. 
You know, so the, the great resignation is happening where people are 4.5 million people are leaving their job every month. And people are realizing that I'm voting with me coming to work and having to deal with this shit. And eventually, yeah. sooner or later, companies are going to lose out on the biggest workforce, which are the millennials. And if they don't get their shit together, the millennials are going to they're creating their own companies and they're creating their own thing, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, and what you just said. You know, it's stuff that this is what I've been talking about. Right. And this is what I have been telling leaders for years. And, and one of the things that I say, you know, when I talk to managers and leaders all the time is here's the thing. Right. First of all, you know, my generation, I was born in 1969. Right. So I'm a, a Gen Xer. Um, and, you know, my generation and the baby boomers, we 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 did millennials dirty. And can't nobody say we didn't do the millennials dirty. We did y'all dirty as hell, right? Straight up. Some shady AF stuff, right? Messed up everything for you, right? We really did, right? And so to the point where, you know, most of the millennials I know are like, I'm not even having kids because the planet ain't even going to be here. It's going to be burned up and it's all jacked up. Like, like, and my thing is, if somebody says they're not going to have children, I, I think you should just be saying that because you don't want to, not because you worried about the world that they're going to be getting, right? And so when you take all of these things into consideration, right? So you're taking this this shitty ass leadership accountability that's happening all across corporate America. I mean, I did a, a little tiny post last week because I'm so mad by it. I couldn't even get it together about Tim Apple, jackass, making $1,447,447 times the amount of money of his average employee, not his customer service people answering the phone and working in the genius bar, the, the average like engineer type person that's making 69,000 a year. He's making 1400 times more than that person, not the genius bar person making $18. Even though why does anybody need 1400 times more than somebody else of anything, right? If I have 10 times, you got one car and I got 10 cars. You got one car. I need a thousand 447 cars I like i need that many more <laughs> like think about it right oh, that's man. what this is yeah this is what this is right you could take a job a house a, a car make it equivalent so if you have one house because i am a ceo of a company i should have 1400 houses what can i even do with that many houses can you even right? see that many yeah you right <laughs> Right. Even I always used to think about back in the day in the 80s, we would watch, you know, these celebrities with cars and MTV cribs and all this stuff. Like how many cars can you drive? You can drive one car at a time. So you can have 30 cars. And you drive one car, a different car a month. But 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 I say all that to say, you know, when we're talking about accountability and we are talking about these these pervasive issues that go on exactly <laughs> yeah right that's right three hotels on your property that's Dottie. yep right like why why right does it have to be this level of disparity and so when you're talking about you know everybody entering the workforce at the same level right um but tamika and sharon and vonda and Alyssa and you know rashmi we don't never make it past two and three promotions up right but brett and john and ryan they make it all the way up ceo in 10 years and you're like what the heck is going on and so there i think also has to be another level of the conversation that's really around helping people to be able to say you know there's enough for everybody 
and we can um, relinquish this like scarcity mindset and all of this control that, oh, only this many people can have this many. So for 60% of women to be in insurance, and then it's just like everything else, 12 per, only 12% even go to the senior level, but and not to the C-suite because it's not 12% of women in every C-suite no. in America. Mm -mm. We already know that. So, so I mean, we got to talk about these things in order to really drive the conversation so that people take different actions. I agree with you. And I want to talk about retaliation for a second. Yeah. Because in insurance, it's pretty big. And I didn't realize how big it was until I started experiencing some issues. I was that naive, like young woman out of college saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm totally going to climb the ranks. I'm going to be this big person, this big boss. And I had ambition and dream and drive. And I got out into the workforce and little things started to happen. And as they would happen, big or small, there would be another woman that would kind of pop out of the shadows and go, oh, that happened to me. This is how you get through it. And there are these little stories that kind of help you and give you the breadcrumbs to survive and get, get through. What I've also heard, because I've had dozens upon dozens of stories with other people as this journey has progressed, is the absolute fear that people feel by saying anything. And you'll hear it from the agency side if somebody tries to say that, like, hey, this happened to me. They'll say, I will make sure that you don't get a job anywhere else. And that's the thing about insurance. It's a really big industry, but it's really incestuous and small. So everybody knows everybody. So there's a massive fear factor that surrounds actually talking about what's happening. And then on top of that, there is this, the other thing that happens, which is we sign NDAs if something goes wrong. So we can't talk about it. So it's really important, the point that Vonda brings up, to talk about what's going on and to share these stories, because it's not just a matter of survival anymore. It's a matter of amplifying and raising these issues so that we can actually affect real change. So what we're doing at IE, Ensure Equality, is we do have a, a place for people to do that if you so choose. And we are very careful about how we take in this information and what we display because we know we've been on the receiving end of that multiple times. So if you feel compelled to share your story, please go to our website or email us at story at insureequality.org. Thank you, Danny, because this is a really important thing, not just to us, but to the entire industry. If we can't solve the problems that we're facing right now, that we're not really ever going to make actionable real change it's what you know what's really important too is the conversations we're having are important but i love walking away with like with some good old-fashioned i'm an hr person and this is what you should do if you come across this i you know like yes. thing and we have that on our website too which is like really important like all the different um links for resources in your state because each state's going to be different um, Very. but having the conversation around like that, amplifying the fact that like, yeah, this is happening. Um, I want to know, you know, um, as a, as a man, you know, in the insure tech world and, and walking around insurance, um, what would be the best way to like, I mean, beyond the fact of like, like action items, right. For any of the men who are here or any of the men who are going to walk around here, um, there are some action items that I feel like a lot of men should be able to be doing. Um, and it's just retreat, it's tweaking our brains. And I think that's kind of like, if there's anywhere to help, I can, I just throw this out here. Um, 
being if you're this is for all the women too if you and this is going to sound stupid and radical but once this clicked in my head i was like oh my god the world is not what i thought it was if you have little boys do not raise them to be gentlemen now listen to me do not raise them to be gentlemen and i'll tell you why being a gentleman is having the actions of being a gentleman is perfect right you know what i mean but there's as a boy growing up, there's certain things that come into your mind that are just drilled into your head. And it don't, you don't realize that you think that you're being rude and not realizing that you're actually doing the opposite action will actually help change. Perfect example for most men. When you when I ask a man, man, you're in the front of an elevator, a woman is sitting right next to you in the elevator. What should you do first? You go in, you're going to let her on, you know, being the gentleman, you're going to allow her to go on, Right. What if you're getting off from the same floor? Do you let her go off first or do you get out of the elevator first? And from what I've heard from women, the right answer is you are a grown ass man. Get off the damn elevator and walk ahead. Because in my mind as a little boy, always let the women go first, not realizing that that woman doesn't know me, doesn't know my spirit, doesn't know that I'm a gay man and I'm not going to rape her, but she don't know that. So her getting off the elevator first and having a grown-ass man right behind her is terrifying. Women live in fear every single day. And and and, and for men to be full, true allies to women and every single, you know, or women, every single, you know, spectrum of, of diversity in the world, you have to realize that sometimes we grew up in a way that hinders us from actually seeing how we can do better. So once I got that out of my mind, I'm like, I'm not being an asshole or I'm not being not a gentleman by getting off the elevator first. I'm doing my part as an ally to jump out of the elevator first and allowing that woman to live her life not in fearful for like 10 seconds. It's not going to move. I would, but, yeah. I would add to that, though, because that's a good point. But I would say on top of that, there's this sense that being a gentleman means that you need to take care of a woman. Yes, exactly. And yeah. we don't need you to take care of us. And I, like, I'm not speaking for every woman out there, but like, I don't need you to hold the door for me. I'm quite capable of opening a door. I'm quite capable of getting on or off an elevator without you prompting me, without you telling me, oh, like here, let me help, help me do this for you. And I think to your point, that kind of sets it up as like this relationship where like, I need that kind of grace or attention from you. And we need to get to the point where that's not it. <laughs> that's not it. We need to see each other as human beings first, not a gender not a race, et cetera. But we have a lot of work and unpacking to do before we can get to that point. And, you know, that's one of those things that you and I have been having a lot of conversations about the whole thing around, you know, everybody just being. And, you know, I had a conversation um, with M. Bowen last night. And, Love you know, him. at the end of the conversation, you know, we were just kind of like, you know, you have just like a really, really beautiful phone conversation and you kind of winding it down. And I was like, well, you know, I hope you get a really good nice rest, blah, blah, blah. And I said something to the effect about, you know, you don't have to do anything, just like be. And so we started having this conversation around, you know, just being and how you, you know, well, first of all, as a black woman, a black person, you don't get to be black woman, you don't get to be. But as a woman, you don't get to be either. Right. Because there's always a thing. And I, you know, I was watching comedy today um, because I, I needed it. And I think about all the comedians that make these jokes about, you know, how they would never want to be a woman because they don't want to have a vagina because they don't want to. They know that somebody's always trying to 
take their vagina without being asked, right? Like, and so, and so to think about trying to help people understand how everyone deserves to be in comfort, how everyone deserves to be in peace, how everyone deserves to walk down the street and just get the mail, pick up their dog poop, you know, get in the car. Like everybody deserves that. But because we have insurance and other industries, you know, the, the capitalism in general, right, have these things that make us rank each other and ascribe value to our humanity based on some, you know, white capitalistic patriarchal definitions of how we're supposed to be, um, we got to just be like, bump that. Like, and, 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 and that cannot be part of how we are operating because we all know even people who are really struggling with their own humanity and their own self-awareness and their own who they are, everybody knows that black people are human beings. Everybody knows that refugees and immigrants coming from different parts of the world, whether it's from war tragedies or climate tragedies that, I hate to say it, but the place where we're all living right now, we caused all of it, but whatever, we don't even need to go there. But anyway, but, but so we all understand, right, and ascribe that that humanity but because of the way we are all conditioned and the way capitalism needs to thrive right we can't right everybody has to be ranked everybody has to have different value but what we have to do to your point right is is have these kind of conversation is bring these things to the forefront to really help people know just because it is like this this is not how it has to be right just because we're here now that's not how it has to be and so going back to you know, helping people think through and accept and believe that they actually have power themselves, right, to make choices, to do different stuff, and to say, you know what, this might be the story that somebody is telling me about how everything is, is going down, but I don't have to believe it. I can tell you, you know, as recent as 18 months ago, somebody told me that I was too old to, um, you know, have, have my own tech company. Like, are you serious? Like, so, so we can do whatever we believe that we can do. And I think part of it starts with the value that we ascribe ourselves. So when yes. we talk about insurance, whether we're talking about car insurance, health insurance, life insurance, homeowners insurance, because everybody knows I'm going through a little homeowner situation right now. Um, you know, that's another way, right? That value has been ascribed to things, right? So my house is worth a certain amount. And so if something happens, they only going to pay me yes. this amount. My car is worth a certain amount the day I buy it. But now seven years later, it's probably only worth a third of that, if not less. Right. So talk a little bit about let's get into like that whole value, you know, kind of piece about humanity and everything else. What does that like look like and how does that transition into how people deal with each other in the workplace, how rules are ascribed, how HR thinks about managing these issues. So you're talking about somebody in the workplace that has shitty, racist, discriminatory, or terrible behavior, immoral and unethical, but they do great. And every, and his name is, you know, something that's not whatever. <laughs> whatever and and yeah. so they get away with it, right? So talk a little bit about value on people, on humanity, business, industry, you know, and how leaders and people need to think differently. Oh my goodness. There's so many things there, huh, Danny? 
Like we could we could talk about this all day because I mean, like if you, yeah, if you truly get to the root of it, like radical, that's what we're trying to do. Get to the root, right? Um, insurance does do that. They ascribe value and everything. Like even if you talk about work comp, there's a value to if you lose a thumb versus if you lose a pinky that sort of thing. And we have to pull away from that because your value as a human isn't what's put into a table and then put out into the world. Your purpose is not to be pretty. Your purpose is not to be productive. Like full stop, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's just it. That's just it. So we have to look at it as the humanization of the workforce because right now what it looks like is that we are widgets or cogs in the machine and we've been replaceable from the beginning i remember like to danny's point we were, were millennials we came out around the time that you know the market crashed in 2008 so we knew full well that like we had to work out we had to put our heads down we had to work our way up and in my situation i graduated literally in december of 08 like right after the market crash so i just got a job the first one i got i was like thank you i can make money now and i just went for it um, and at some point you get stuck into a, a job and you just keep your head down. And you're like, where am I? But if I can take it back to the value piece, because you were talking about this, and this is something, Vonda, you and I have talked about before. You have to value yourself enough. You have to know your own worth in order to be able to ascribe value to other people. So if you're not understanding this conversation or there's a piece of it that doesn't quite sit right with you yet, You've got some work to do because I was one of those people in the workforce, you know, like two or three years into my career going, I'm not big enough to make a difference. There's nothing, there's nothing I can do personally. What can I do? This, this young, you know, underwriter or marketing rep or whatever I was at the time saying, yeah, you know, this is, I'm sure there's somebody that can do something and maybe I'll support them with my dollars. Maybe I'll support them with like, you know, social media, but I certainly can't do anything about it. And now I'm here. So you can do something no matter where you're at. You can do something from your couch now. We've learned we can work from home after all this time. You can do something from your living room, your bedroom, et cetera. Nothing is too small in the course of change for the industry. Danny, you look like you're ready to go. You just, you just inspired me for something. You just got me on this whole other thing, and let's talk about it. I'm going to be Missy Elliott. I'm going to flip it and reverse it when it comes to the value piece, right? Because... You're exactly right. Like we have to know our own value. But then I hear that a lot. But what the fuck does that mean? I'm happy you asked. So for me, what that means, um, bossing up, stepping your shit up, right? So like the value, I, you know, as a man in this world, I can easily take the thing of like, know your worth and add tax on it, obviously, right? Um working in a consulting firm, you have to literally name your price on certain aspects of it. But how can you know whether or not you actually can start charging? Or even the same time, if you're working at a company and you're a woman or you're, you're black or you're, you know, you're Asian, or you have any of those things where you're just not getting to the level where you need to be, the best advice I've ever gotten was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go in. Here's my six month plan. Here are my metrics of success. Here is how I'm going to meet them. Talk to my boss. Hey boss, this is how I'm, I want to meet these metrics. If I meet these metrics within this amount of time, will we, can we talk about a compensation increase? And your boss will be like, yes or no. If they say no, you got to go. If they say yes, 
then work your ass off. Get as many certifications you can get on there. Get Document your entire process of bossing the hell up. And then walk up to your boss and be like, look, when you do all that, you have confidence, right? You, you've done the facts. You've done the work. And be like, hey, yo, boss, look what I did. Where's my, where's my pay increase? You said we would have a pay increase. And your boss said, no. And you're like, okay, cool. No worries. Now you have a whole list of things that you've actually done to boss the fuck up. And you have a whole list of saying when you go on interviews, like, look, this is what I did. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I can do in order for me to come to your job and do a better work. Women need, women in general need to, they need to job jump with every three or six years. Cause if they don't, the women equality pay will never, will never get up to the point. Women will always feel like they have to stay and take care of everybody and everything. Fuck that. Jump your job. Go to another job in three or six years. And I guarantee you, you'll make more money that way. Um, but using the specific method, I've learned to add value to myself. I have a whole list of, of things that I've accomplished. And these are just facts. I'm not bloating or gloating. Mm-hmm. These are facts. Um, and that's how I'm able to see, like, in the workforce coming up soon, like, every all the Gen Xers and the boomers are going to retire soon. And all you're going to be left are the millennials who don't give a shit about you and your old ways of working. <laughs> Gen Z people, I have a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old. They don't give a fuck about you or your feelings. They will tell you right here, right now. No, mm-hmm. I ain't doing it. So you better Absolutely. Your- <laughs> and that's the thing, right, is that is that one of the messages to leaders is really has to be around, you know, listen, you're talking about, because I have a whole, a lot of issues, right? I have this one issue with everybody, people out here saying, not everybody, billionaires and, and, and people saying, nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work. You're the one that doesn't want to work. You're the lazy person. You're the one that's making 1,400 times more than other people for doing nothing. Like, but talking and making money yesterday i'm looking at um the glass door talking about oh these are the, the best companies according to employees you know how companies get on all these lists glass door blessing they pay money to get on these lists so do i need to give five hundred thousand to be the best do i need to give a hundred thousand do i need to give two million do i need to come on three or four of their shows that they do this and that right so all those rankings last year, Google was like number three of the most respected company in the world. Come on. They have been lying and stealing our stuff and selling our information and eavesdropping on all of our shit for years. They're the most respected. They might be the highest valuated. Well, now I guess that's Apple, right? But but the most respected, the the, the, the best for employees, that employees really like it, Right. So, you know, all of these things, they they speak to the economics of advancement that is so disproportional to women. And Francine talked about that, Francine Parham, right? About how if I if I'm working in the workforce for 20, 30, 40, or 50 years, and the whole time I've been getting 61 cents on the dollar or 63 cents or 70 or whatever the number is, depending on whether I'm black or you know, Latin or Asian or I'm an immigrant or I work in tech or what, like these little nuances about my difference, but it's still not equal because there's this notion out here that if we are equal, then that you don't have as much and, and, and that whole piece, right? So, 
you know, when you're talking about not only just performing on your job and, and, and trying to do that, right, there's all these things. And even to, you know, Dawn's point around, you know, if your company has training or them dollars, they owe you that money. And so it's January. You need to ask for the money right now. Yes. And if your manager talking about, oh, wait till September and you could go to this training and that, uh-uh, you need to do it right now because you don't know if you're going to have a job in September. You don't know if they're going to try to force you to go back to work and say, well, COVID's over now which we now know is never going over, but I think we should have known that, right? Um, and, and so we have power, and we have got to, and we talked about it at the Belonging Conference by Dawn back in October, how you have to own your own stuff, right? And, and like, you need to own your own story, not let other people tell you stuff. Own the, your own solutions. You can come up with how you're going to do stuff. And I wouldn't tell anybody to work at some company for six damn years. I tell you like this. You walk in the door, it'll take you three to six months to make sure you understand everything you need to do. it take you another six to 12 months to really perfect it. Maybe 12 to 18 to really take your game to the next level. 18 months, two years tops, you need to leave and go somewhere else if you don't get the kind of bump up and you know you've learned and you know you have done some stuff then you need to be out because these companies don't give two shits as one of my ex-husbands used to say about us as human beings, as people. And so we have to recognize that we have that power and exactly stop vying for gigs that, uh, that don't want to just like stop vying for this VC money. Right. If, if you out here, you know, doing all this for the VC money, knowing you ain't going to get it right. Like 0.02%, 0.20%, Point twenty percent, like literally, it is of a chance of getting a VC, you know, funded. If you're a black woman, that's not even worth the the to me all the the pain and the trauma going after it, right? Mm -hmm. So even when we think about in these in these companies, right, we come in at one level and we think we're going to do this and that, right? If you know you sitting next to this person. They came in, y'all started at the same, but they're not doing their thing, blah, blah, blah. And you see, they get promoted. You need to be out. But you need to always be looking for a job, right? You need to ABL when you're at work. Always be looking for a job constantly, right? And, and thinking about, you know, your next thing. And the other thing that women do that men don't do is women don't even go for jobs or apply for jobs if they haven't done everything on the damn list. A man look at the list and say, oh, I could do that, even if he never did none of it. And then you wonder why you sit next to a person that has zero experience because they said, hmm, well, I can do that. And a woman says, oh, I only did that for two years. And this says eight years of experience. So I shouldn't do it. And well, that's a big, big problem. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been this. This is so y'all know. Y'all know. Right. I mean, I'm going to be 53 years old in less than two months. And I've been working in corporate for a long time. Right. And I see and seen these patterns over and over. And I remember the first time that somebody told me that. And it was actually one of my um, good bosses that I had told me about that. And then I remember looking it up and it was like all the studies show a man looks at a, a job description says, yeah, I can do that, whether they ever did it or not. And that's how they get these jobs. And, yeah, and so, so <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, let's stay here for a second, because Danny talked about how he was socialized as a young boy to be a gentleman. We socialize our daughters to not take chances and to take care of other people. So that's part of it, too. You need to socialize your daughters to take risks, socialize them to say, yeah, you can do it. Go for it because they can. And at some point, I think it's around the age of 14, that's when 
a woman's confidence drops and then continues to drop year after year after year. So yes, go for it, but know that there's still unconscious bias that exists. But I also want to go back to the fact that you talked about these different designations that workplaces get and they pay for them. And that's why they have them because that was a lightning bolt moment for me when I was like 23 years old. It was my first job out of college. Like I said, I just took the first one I got and it was in banking. And I went through a merger within the first year of my career, which I don't recommend, like <laughs> one out of 10. It was awful. Um, but they sent out surveys for something like this, whether it was like 10 best places to work or you know something of that nature. And I was excited because I was like, I can actually share real feedback about my experience here. And I remember filling it out, sending it off. And then we got this email that talked about how the, the bottom 10% and the top 10% or some arbitrary percentage was cut off. So like if you had somebody that was just like really upset or like you had a group of people that were very upset, it didn't actually factor in to whether or not you got it or not. And if you paid enough, you could still get it. And I haven't trusted those metrics since. So it's important to know that it's not just about whether you pay to do it. You have to listen to other people. And that's the other reason why it's so important to talk and not just talk about your experiences, not just talk about the survival guide, because it shouldn't have to be a survival guide, especially in a white collar job, but talk about how much money you're making. I mean, how many times have you sat next to somebody with the same experience, uh, same years in industry, and they're making more than you? That's the other reason why we have to move jobs, because we're not seeing those pay increases enough as well. Danny, I know you probably want to add to this. No, keep going, girl. You're doing the right. No, no. <laughs> no, for me, it's it's the pay aspect that really like waters down the effectiveness of whether or not that's true. And to Vonda's point, like Google, what what was the designation they had? What was best pl workplaces? Uh, best places Most to work respected. Like it was, so yesterday it was best places to work or 100 best places to work or something like that. A couple of weeks ago or at that was the other one was a couple of months ago, but they do, you know, most respected workplaces, this and this and that. And that's how that works. I worked in a company one time and we were responsible for filling it out. And I was like, OMG, we're literally at, we are filling it out like so it doesn't mean anything. And so it's crazy. Right. Um, so I, I want to go back to the transparency and talking about pay, because there is nothing that says you can't tell somebody how much you make. This is. This is another tool, right, of uh, white supremacy, right? And this is another tool that keeps us separated, keeps us competing and all of that. So somebody comes in and, you know, they, they have the same degree, same professional certifications, qualifications. You expect y'all should be making it, you know, uh, the, the same amount of money. But you don't have to keep these things a secret and you should talk about it. I was super happy um, somebody had posted on um, online um, yesterday on LinkedIn about, you know, how much do you charge for speaking engagements? Right. And it was like these different things. And I'm like, boom, I charge eighty five hundred dollars an hour if it's just me by myself. I don't have any problems telling anybody how much do I charge. I don't have anybody any problem telling somebody that when when clients want to just consult and they just want to ask me some basic questions and they just want some basic advice. I charge $175 for that. I don't, I like my price sheet, as far as I'm concerned, is not really a secret because don't people want to know what they're getting for, getting paid, getting, what are they paying for? Somebody said something on it yesterday, some amazing dope recruiter, uh, a person in talent acquisition, whether they were a recruiter or whatever, said yesterday, um, if somebody says something to you about, 
um, you go to apply for a job and, you know, they don't want to, um, they, they're asking you something about your information, but they don't want you to, uh, to know how much the salary is. So it's like, they keep a secrets on their side. Right. Um, but, but, but want to know all your business. So my thing is you need to be asking how, where's the other person that had this job before me? How long ago have, did they yeah. leave? How, how is the turnover in this department? Why are people doing different stuff? Right. Um, Dawn told me she spoke to somebody today with a 75 K discrepancy. That happened to me too. Right. Because this is what will happen because people don't talk about it and hiring managers, right. They can, they pay people whatever they want. Right. So they have a bucket of money. If they have 10 people on a team or 12 people, they have a bucket of money, whatever that amount is. And they look at it and they say, I want to pay this person this much, this person this much. And, and I'm going to pay the black people the less. I'm going to pay women less. I'm going to pay anybody with a non, what I call American accent less. And that's what they do. That mm -hmm. is what they do. And so these are the things, everyone, that we have to talk about. Talk about it. I, I One of the things I have a little thing that I'm building but I mean, I think we could go ahead and make a Google form out of it and, and we could just literally everybody just type in the name of the co last company that you worked in. What was your daggone salary? What was your education? What? And, and, and just blast them all out. Oh, I used to work at this company. I worked at this company. I worked here. And, and we're going to have a whole database. That's on my Vonda's list app, one of them. But we're going to have a whole database and people going to be able to click and say, OK, if I take a job at. X company level two engineer. My degree is this, and my certification. I have eighteen years. Okay, this person says I should be making one forty seven. Boom. Wait a minute. The recruiter talking about eighty four fifty. You know eighty four thousand, and I'm supposed to be. Sorry, but the other thing is, you got to call people out. You have to hold them accountable by saying you are lying, right? So let me make this announcement. I made it on um, LinkedIn, but this is better because I'm finding out I got like 100,000 people watching different stuff. So here's some news for y'all. If you use Zoom and if you have used Zoom from something around June or so of 2016 up until last summer, Zoom owe you $25. Get your $25 from Zoom. So Zoom either owes you $25 or $15. And this is why. Zoom, as you know, has violated numerous privacy laws. And as a tech company, like all these tech companies, right, we have laws in America around privacy, around um, information transmission, uh, transparency, and things like that. Zoom, and I don't know the exact uh, law they violated, um, and I'm trying to think where my sheet is, um, cause I don't see it on my desk right now, but, but the, the government, uh, 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 made a settlement, uh, and told zoom that they owe consumers a whole bunch of money. And so basically you need to go to zoom meetings. I think it's settlements or zoom meeting lawsuit settlements, something like that.com. I will get it and post it in the chat when I get it, Do it. but you need to uh, go to on the site and you need to apply to get your money. They either owe you $15 or $25, depending on the Zoom subscription you have for your video call meetings. Can y'all imagine if 10 million people got their $25 back from Zoom? Maybe it's not a lot of money, but it's going to make a difference.
Thank you, Thanks, Dawn. Don. That's it, right? Imagine if 20 million of us, 10 million got our 25 and another 10 million got our $15. It's going to send a message. The message is we're going to hold you bastards accountable and you got to stop lying to us. You got to stop manipulating us. You stop to, have to stop tricking us and you have to do the right damn thing. Get your money. Get your $25. Listen, I have gotten $3 from AT&T. I've gotten $6 from Comcast. Get your money because the more people that do these kind of things will hold these companies accountable. But what happens is they send it to you on a little flimsy piece of paper. You almost don't even see it. Um, it's easy to throw out. It's only white, black and white. It's hard to see, but you need to get your daggone uh, money, get your $25 or your $15 from Zoom, and you need to tell every single person you know. That's one thing. So I'm going to be bringing those kind of, you know, things to light. I didn't even think about talking about it, you know, here because we were, you know, having that piece of the conversation. But once again, it's the economics of advancement. It's what these leaders need to do as far as accountability. It's about what we need to know from an information standpoint so that we can make decisions that are going to benefit us, right? Somebody could use that $25 and get a half a tank of gas somewhere in America. Mm-hmm. Somebody can get somebody can get three, four days of groceries on $25 somewhere in America. So get your damn $25 back from Zoom. That's all I'm saying. Some good tacos. And it's all related, isn't it? Like all of this is related, whether or not we want to. Yep, absolutely. Because what we need to do as individuals is keep talking about it, keep sharing with other people and understand our value. And it's it's not just about the value, like Danny said, like, you know, write everything down, you know, be be that boss version of yourself. Make sure you do the work on yourself too. Um, mental health is seriously undervalued in this country. And if you've grown up in this country, whether you realize it or not, you probably have something you need to work through. And so this is your this is your PSA. Please, please spend some time on yourself. Um, it is worth it for not just you, but the people around you. Absolutely. And it makes me think about, you know, if you can do that at wherever you are, whatever stage you are in your life, right, whether you're a student, you know, a parent, early career, professional, mid, whatever, right? If you can do that work on yourself and you can make sure that you at least know what some of your blind spots are, you at least know what some of your weak areas are. If you at least know, like one of the things I love about myself (laughs) is I know my own crap. Like I know my crap. Now, maybe some of it is less identifiable, but I know, you know, one of the things I, (laughs) I, I just know who I am and I know what I'm about. And so. For me, all this stuff is like second nature and it's easy for me to love people. It's easy for me to treat people great and with dignity and respect and it's easy for me to take up for people. Those of us, to your point, E, that don't have that, you know, self-love, that takes away from being able to have self-awareness, self-compassion, and then to be able to give that to other. And so I think, you know, um, and this brings it, you know, full circle, you know, Daniel, back to even stuff that you were saying when we first joined, right? This, this this notion, uh, you know, around equity, this notion around support, this notion around, you know, doing the right thing, this notion around sticking up for people, right, just because you're a human being and they're a human being, right? So if you had to say, you know, one or two kind of like takeaways, right, for people to think about in their own individual life from their own perspective in their own way what's one or two things like like hey work on this this week 
right? Or work on this, you know, over the next whatever that, that people can feel like they're empowered, you know, to have some, some, some agency over equity in their life. Um, I, I would love for everybody to work in facts. And I know it's the hard for the funny thing is when I, I've mentored a lot of people in my career and when they want to go to the next level, they always feel like they're boasting about what they've done. But in reality, you're just speaking the facts, you know, like I'm going to be honest with you. I am a, a, a foster father who drives a Tesla, who lives in a sky rise building. So a lot of different people that might be boasting, but baby boy, these are just facts about me and it is what it is, you know? So at the end of the day, if you were able to write down everything you've done at your job and you were to meet these metrics, these are just facts that empowers you to be that boss bitch at work. Because if that, if, if Randy is, is down, down the hall wants to talk some smack, if you know what you've done throughout the past year, you know your value, you know your facts, and you can take that and push back on Randy or take your facts and go to another company that will that will that will give you the respect and that other company will eventually will shut down. Yeah. 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 I mean I I love that. Thank you. Um I mean work in facts, right? Deal in facts, operate in facts. Facts are empowering. I absolutely love that. Hey, it is almost um an hour and I just love um, Dawn and everybody else that's for participating. Um, this conversation, we're going to keep continuing them. And, you know, just for everybody out there, just so you know, right, we have three group chat shows now. So we have Radical Change, the OG show, I call it, right? We got Radical Equity, right, our brand new one. And then what we did was we changed a little direction around Radical Power. And we are really talking about the power of sisterhood and the power of the divine feminine so thank you so much to my co-hosts um and this was a great time and hey peace out and we will see everybody soon bye bye thank you